Thank you for joining us for Growing You, part of LaGrave Avenue CRC's Adult Education Program. In this session, we are joined by Steve Mulder, CRCNA Regional Director for the Climate Witness Project, and his granddaughter, Annika. They share stories of Kenya and Uganda and the subsistence farmers there. These farmers are trying to adapt and mitigate amongst a changing climate. And now, the Climate Witness Project, sharing stories of Kenya and Uganda. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thanks so much for coming. Jim, thank you for inviting us. So, um, Jim wanted me to talk about this trip that we took two years ago, so that's what I'm gonna focus on. I do have other presentations about the Climate Witness Project, about some of the different things that we do. If you're interested in any of that, we can always come back, we can talk about it separately. But today we're just gonna talk about this trip that we did two years ago, three years ago now. So the Climate Witness Project is a project of the Christian Reformed Church and World Renew. So it's split between those two organizations. And really this trip was sponsored by World Renew. And the idea was for, and I'm just gonna show this one little, this little video. So I don't know if you read the text there, but the idea was to just go to, to Africa, to two countries that World Renew works in. So World Renew East Africa is Uganda, Kenya, and Tanz Tanzania. And so this, the, this trip was to those two countries, not Tanzania, but um, Kenya and Uganda. So that was a little bus that we were driving around on. In. Oops. This is the group that went. So um, on the far left, is uh, Stefan Lutz, and he is a World Renew person in Kenya. And then there's myself, Annika, um, a young woman who now works for Sojourners, a Canadian, a, um, another World Renew person from Canada, and then a, a guy from New York. And then on the far right is another World Renew person in Kenya. And then De uh, Deanna Gielhood at the bottom, she works for Plaster Creek Stewards. You may be familiar with that group in Grand Rapids. And then and the two Andrews kind of organized the trip for us. So we, we went to these two countries with the purpose of just seeing what was going on in terms of these um, subsistence farmers. How was climate change affecting them with the idea of coming back and telling their story. So we did that. And this is the kind of thing that we did most of the time. We visited a farm, heard from the farmer, heard from other people in the little town that we were in, that sort of thing. So you know what happened was we, we went in 2019 we came back, I did one presentation at my church, Church of the Servant, then COVID hit. I still have the projector at home from that presentation, so we haven't done another one since. So it's been you know, these two, two years now, so this is the second time we've done it. So the plan was to do a lot of these and just get people, you know, to show them what was going on, just see, see how they wanted to respond to that. That didn't happen because of COVID. So there's where we went. There's those two countries. So when we landed, we, went, we spent some time in Nairobi, sort of getting acclimated, and then we drove up to, um, what's that, Nakuru. And that's where we spent most of our time in Kenya. So here's kind of what's going on there. 
that country has, ex has experienced extreme population growth. Also, this is the biggest problem they have, is they can't predict the, the weather anymore. So this, this is that farmer that, that was, um, that first picture where we're all sitting in chairs, that's the farmer that was telling us about his experience. That's his farm. So these farms are not, these are like half acre, three quarters of an acre, an acre. They feed their family and then whatever's left, they take it into town and sell it. So this is a quote from him. I used to be able to predict the rain down to the day. So there were two rainy seasons. It's always on track, always the same thing. You could predict, you could plan around that. Now it's just, um, it's unpredictable. So they have uh, sort of cycles of flood and drought. Another huge problem is deforestation. And that's partly driven by the fact that they can't rely on their crops anymore. So the main way that these folks make a living now is cutting down trees, turning those trees into charcoal, selling the charcoal to people around them, but also taking it into Nairobi. So everywhere we went, we saw these big bags of charcoal along the sides of the roads. So they would cut down the trees, turn them into charcoal, bag them up, they would go into Nairobi, and then people like this guy are, are on the streets of Nairobi selling charcoal to, the, to their citizens. The main thing they're doing with that charcoal is um, not heating, but um, cooking. And the main cooking they do is on just three stones with a pot sitting on top of it. So extremely inefficient, inefficient stoves. Another problem that Kenya has, and really all of Africa has, is the topsoil is so degraded. And that's partly because of the um, so-called green movement of the 50s and 60s. So in that case, um, farmers were encouraged to rely on pesticides and fertilizers and to, to uh, have monocropping and not to, um, not to bother with um, things like um, composting, but rather to clear the land and then rely on these chemical um, additives. And that ended up depleting the, the topsoil. It did, did result in a huge boom of, of crops for the short term. So for about five years, it was like magic. It's like, holy cow, we're getting a lot more crops than we ever got before. But then the, the topsoil became depleted and that became a problem. So this picture, this happens to be Stefan Lutz's two hands. One hand shows the soil in the, the way that they're now doing agriculture, and the other is the depleted soil. And they have new invasive pests. So again, this, this is kind of the, the story of, of farming in Kenya. You're up. Um, so mitigation is just reducing the severity of something that's already happening. And one of the ways that they're doing this is through conservation agriculture, which has three main parts, minimal soil disturbance, permanent soil cover, and crop rotation. Um, so this is also, and it's also avoiding all fertilizers and pesticides. So this is an example we saw of the way that they used to do agriculture, and this is the new way with conservation agriculture. So you can just see how much more um, product they're getting using this form of agriculture. And then renewable energy, um, driving, we drove a long time um, to the different towns and we just saw renewable energy everywhere. Um, even though they, weren't, they didn't have electrical connections, they would use it for lighting. And even on these like small little huts, they'd still have solar panels on top. 
So this is Wangari Mati, um, Matai, um, a Kenyan woman who planted millions of trees and she started the Greenbelt Movement. Um, yeah, just planting millions and millions of trees. That's a wonderful quote, by the way, if you're interested in reading her story. Yeah, you see it. Um, and then the efficient cook stoves. So on the left, that was the way that he was talking about. They just would sit it on um, charcoal. And using this, the heat would go off the sides, and it would just use a ton of charcoal. It was really inefficient. And then the right is a more efficient cook stove. And it would, it's not great. It still uses charcoal, but it's just more efficient. Um, and so they're trying to encourage people to use this more efficient cook stove. And that's really easy to transition to because they're so cheap. They're like $14 for one of those stoves. So a lot of geothermal is on the surface of Kenya, and which is like Yellowstone, and 40% of Kenya's energy is from geothermal. So, um, adaptation, so that's adapting to something that's different and new, not solving it. And one way they're doing this is by digging deeper ditches because of all of the flooding, roads and towns and everything is just flooding. So they're digging these ditches just to allow them to live. And really everywhere we went on that little bus, we saw them digging deeper ditches along the sides of all the roads. And then they're also starting to plant um, diverse, more diverse farm products, which are able to withstand these floods and droughts. Um, like tomatoes and citrus. I'm up. Okay, so here's just one story from um, that, that town that I said we went to. Um, I think this little town is actually called Salai. So we got on the bus one morning, and we went to this structure, and nobody really told us where we were going or what we were going to do there. So we all got off the bus, and I looked at that, and I thought, oh, that's must be there where they store hay or something like that. So, so we hopped off and then we were greeted. And then we went inside and we heard a presentation about their um, uh, community bank. So that strong box you see on the table is the community bank. So the various members of the community contribute money to that bank, and then the bank makes loans out to other members of the community for whatever needs they have for their farms. This has proven to be an extremely successful thing for them, and it's really helped out a lot. And so they were very proud of this, and so they told us all about it. And then we all did our little presentations, and I did my, my usual shtick there was, so we're here to see what's going on. We just want to observe and learn from you. And then we want to go back to America and talk to Americans about what we saw. And I said, you know, there are Americans who um, don't believe that climate change is happening. And I said that everywhere I went. And everywhere I went, I'd get these, you know, there's was always a translator, right? So I'd be looking out at the folks and then hear the translator. And then I'd always see people go, you know, they were just shocked. They were like, what? What do you mean? It's right here. I said, well, that's, that's why we're here. We want to try to, to, see, to be able to share what, what you guys are experiencing. 
By the way, this woman here, just as an aside, the one with the yellow shirt, she works for World Renew. She um, is from a different tribe than these folks are, are from. And one of her relatives was actually killed in that building by this tribe sometime previous to this. I don't know what all the details of that were, but there's some kind of tribal conflict and one of her relatives was killed by these people. And yet, as you, as you, if you remember, as she came in, she was embracing those other women. So I just thought, wow, that is the love of Christ. You know, these are, these are all Christians. They've, you know, she's found a way to forgive them for that and move on and try to help each other. So that building turned out to be their church, the holistic mission for all nations. So I was quite surprised by that with the dirt floor and the open roof and the, all that stuff. So that's a big church. So there, there's a picture. I didn't take this because we weren't there on a Sunday, but that's a Sunday service. 107 adults, 321 total members of that little church. So since that time, I've kind of stayed in communication with that church, with a pastor, and tried to, tried to keep up on what's going, there, going on there. So this, so remember, we, got, we were there in, I think it was May of 2019. So one year previously, there was a big flood. And I, I had a video here, but we tried to run it, and it, <laughs> what we ended up with was a weight loss ad, which I think that was probably going to help. So. <laughs> um, anyway, so I think I do have some pictures, though. Let me just see. No, I guess not. So um, what it shows, there was a huge earthen dam right above where this church is, and it held back water, and it was owned by an Indian gentleman named Patel, who has a great huge farm there, a multiple acre farm, where he grows fruit and also flowers for export. And most of these folks work for him. So he owns this private dam, and he's holding back water specifically for his farm, which looks very lush. Well, because the, that dam was overwhelmed by, by too much water. And one explanation for why it all of a sudden had too much water is because of that deforestation that I talked about before, which is upstream from the dam. So there's a lot more water coming down that stream, not soaking into the earth like it normally would, ended up behind that dam. Then the dam burst and everything flowed downhill. Many of those little homes were, were destroyed, 45 people killed, half of those were little children. And, and the man that owned that dam didn't live there. He, he, yeah, he lived in a different place while all these people died from his dam. So this is the pastor. I'm not going to read all that, but this is just from an email that he sent me telling me about how things were going after, after we left. This is one of the, a worker for another um, nonprofit who works with those folks with that um, conservation agriculture. And she's telling, me, telling us about the locust, which suddenly invaded, right? Well, actually, while we were there, that locust infestation started. And I don't frankly know where it is right now, but it became very bad. And there's uh, Stefan. And again, he's talking about the um, conservation agriculture. That's kind of their main push, is trying to get folks to do this. And they, they're very successful with it because the results are so dramatic. So they, they find one farmer to do it, and that, that becomes the example for the rest of the folks. And they say, wow. That works great, let me try that. And the interesting thing is that what he's teaching them is really the type of farming that they used to do traditionally. So generations before, the farming was very similar to what they're now teaching them to do. So then we flew to Uganda. 
and went from Nairobi, so we went from Nairobi to Kampala, landed in Kampala, and then drove to Sarati. And the challenge there was basically the same as Kenya. They had, you know, population growth, unreliable raining seasons, this, the same deforestation and soil loss. Um, so we visited this lake and because of all of these droughts and floods and other issues that they're having, they were unable to live off of the land anymore. And so they turned to fishing on this lake, but because everyone went to fishing at the same time, they overfished it. Um, do you have anything to say about that? Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then mitigation, they're doing conservation agriculture, tree planting, renewable energy, these cook stoves. This was a school that we visited um, that is planting trees on their property. So on the right, those pictures of the taller trees, those trees are only three years old and they're already that big. So that's, um, yeah, so they grow really fast. So they're a good mitigation effort. And yeah, and they, these were just smaller trees that they were planting with the kids. So that's part of the good news about reforestation efforts. They take place very quickly. So that long growing season, so that's a good thing. Um, and then this was an area that we visited that had just started to moving to this um, restore, restore, restoration. And, but they had squatters there that would cut down the like native plants that they were trying to grow and plant rice instead. And they couldn't kick the squatters off. So they just had, every time they would try to switch to a better, um, better plants and better ecological restoration, they, it would just be cut down. So all these things are extremely difficult because these are people that are just struggling to stay alive. And so you, 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 you kind of try to balance that, right? How to keep them alive and yet also address the larger problem. And adaptation, they're also digging deeper ditches, trying to have more diverse agriculture. And this is a farm that we visited. Um, and this man had all these giant fish farms. And you can't tell from these pictures, but they were just giant. And there were probably five. Yeah. There was a lot. and they. We were like, how did, how did you possibly dig this? And he had just hired like boys from the local towns to hand dig these giant, giant ditches. And with, yeah, for fish farming. Um, and I was partly amazed by that because I put a little water feature in my backyard. You know, it was like six feet across. It took me so long to dig that hole. And I looked at that and said, holy cow. And it's basically children that dug those things. So that guy was amazing. He had a bunch of kids, and then he keeps those other young people involved in the, um, uh, maintaining the, that fish farm. Um, so this was, I don't remember where this was, Salai? No, Sir yes. Salai. And this, we were also greeted with just singing, dancing, hugging. They like ran out to greet us and walked us back to where they were. I think we have a video. Just click.
So they were just all so happy, and it was just amazing to, we've already been here for probably a week and a half, and just hearing about all these terrible things they're going through, all of this, the suffering they're doing, and just trying to stay alive and keep their kids alive, and they're just so happy, and singing and dancing. And then they gave us just, just this giant meal, they served all of us first, there were termites for us. You tried them, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm vegetarian. I'm so. not a big fan. I, d I didn't. <laughs> but on the right side of that big plate, those are termites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm vegetarian, so I, I actually had to call, had, have people call ahead to all the places we went and say, she's vegetarian, she, she's not like being rude because it was so rude to reject food so that people wouldn't be mad. <laughs> And there was a little cultural adjustment there, too, because first they fed us. They kept encouraging, oh, take more, take more, of course. Then all the men got their food, and then all the women got to get their food. And, of course, we, we sat in the seats of honor, and then the men sat kind of up front. And then I think the women, were they standing or? Yeah, standing or, like, sitting that? by that tree yeah. behind them, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. So it's like, you know, everybody's told us, well, you know, you have to honor their culture. That's, that's how they're comfortable. So just go with it. So. Um, so then from those people, we went and visited some of their personal farms. So I'm pretty sure, yeah, this was, maybe they're eating here, but we visited one farm of an older woman with um, just a ton of grandkids and kids and got to. Yeah, I was just going to show, this was, the, this was her home here. And then, um, with the help of World Renew, they built this new home for her, which she was absolutely thrilled with. Um, this is her speaking, I think. No, no, it's, I'm sorry, that's not her. Come back here, you're spinning Oh, sorry. <laughs> and then some of these people were, again, um, used to rely on farming, were switching to fishing, and were overfishing these lakes. And so the government wanted them to farm, so they burned all of their boats. They then made regulations on the types of boats that they could have, and the only boats that they were allowed to have were way too expensive for any of them to afford. So now they have to go back to farming and learn how to farm with all of this drought and flooding. And then the fallback again is um, charcoal production. So they're already deforested the whole area, and now they're you know, going back to get the last few trees. So that's the struggle. So we went back to um, Kampala. We were staying in a hotel in Kampala. It rained that night. Thought, okay, no big deal, a little bit of rain. Next morning, we got up to go to church. And that was the headline in the paper, City Storm Kills Seven. It was like, it was, I didn't even really even notice that it was raining. It was not a big deluge or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, we hadn't even, we had just like, we were going to like a little store to get something, some food, and just saw it on like a newspaper there, and we're like, what? Yeah, and then this, this, this quote here, um, we can now get eight months worth of rain in one day. I don't know if that's an exaggeration, but anyway, this is, oh, it's, oh well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I was just going to show that I had a little video there where it shows the motorcycles going through that huge backed up water in the street. So that's why they're digging all those ditches, to try to drain the water off as quickly as they can. So 
what can you do? So that, this is really the purpose of all this. If you're interested in supporting those folks and, uh, or addressing the climate uh, crisis, here's a few suggestions. You could um, join and support the Climate Witness Project. By the way, I have some books back there. Um, also my, my card that has a little um, website on it. If you want to become a, a partner, you can do that. Doesn't cost anything, doesn't commit you to anything other than getting emails. Um, you could support World Renew's East Africa operations. So that's what I did when I came back because I get to know those people. I just said, well, let me at least contribute on a monthly basis. It's only $15, but still, every month $15 goes specifically to this organization of the East Africa operation. Um, you could join um, the Graves Creation Care Team. And then the other thing that just came up, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Evangelical Environment Network, Environmental Network. That's an um, organization that's in Washington. And there's quite a few connections between um, the Climate Witness Project and that organization and the CRC in that organization. But they do these book clubs periodically. And does anybody know Catherine Hayhoe? Okay, a few people do. That's great. So Catherine Hayhoe is a climate scientist, and she works for, uh, I think it's Texas Tech. She lives in Texas, and she's a Canadian. Her husband is an evangelical pastor, so she identifies as an evangelical. So she's been, her focus has been climate change um, for many years now. She's written a number of books. This book she just wrote, it just came out maybe two months ago, Saving Us. And what she means by saving us is she says, you know, the climate crisis is not going to kill the earth. People talk about saving the planet. It's really not about saving the planet. It's about saving civilization. It's about saving the people that are most vulnerable to this. So probably the wealthiest people in the world will be able to figure out how to, you know, find, find land higher, you know, not away from the coast, those kinds of things. But the most vulnerable are like these people that we saw in Africa. And they're, they're going to be... Well, they're going to have a lot of trouble. So anyway, so that's why she says saving us. But this is a great book, and it, and it kind of gives the background, sort of the science about it. A lot of, she talks a lot about you know, why people have the different beliefs that they have about climate, and then she has many suggestions. So last Thursday, a couple days ago, she did the kickoff of this book club, and she talked for an hour, I guess, about the book. And now the next, the next um, sec, so it's going to be five coming Thursdays um, at noon. Um, so there's five sections to the book, so each, each um, uh, week will be one section. So I couldn't get the video yet, but it will be posted on their site. So if you're interested in this, you can, you can log in and, and sign up for that um, book club. Jim? Um, just a couple of comments. Um, first of all, the grade did join Climate Witness Project, you were a part of that, and used to have a creation care team here at the grade. It no longer exists. Uh, the creation care team was part of the facilities, it was a subcommittee of facilities, and now there is no creation care team here at the grade. And if you want to meet someone, Ms. Catherine Hayhoe, Incredible person. She looks, by the way, like she could be a classmate of Hanukkah. Yes, she does. <laughs> but she is the most vivacious, kind, compelling 
person that you would ever run into. She is like a heart of gold and um, can express views that might seem maybe at first blush controversial, but somehow you're just taken by what she has to say. So I think if you were to just uh, Google Catherine Hayhoe and just see some of what she has to present, you would be blown away. She is incredible. <laughs> Yeah, she is all over the internet. So if you, if you did Google, you'd find TED Talks. And also she has a thing called Global Weirding, which is she puts out a video every, very short, five-minute videos about different topics. So those are really, really helpful too. But anyhow, if you're interested in this at all, just take one of my cards, email me. I'll email you the link for that video or for that recording when it comes up. And then if you want to, you can join us for the discussions for the next coming weeks. The book is back there if you want to take a look at it. Okay, and then that's me. So if you want to email me, you can take my card too, but anyhow, you can, you can email me, call me. Love to talk to you some more. If you want me to come back and talk about other things that we're doing with the Climate Winners Project, happy to do that. And so now we, we do, oh, wow, we've got a lot of time left. So if you have questions, comments, this is the time. Where do they get solar panels? I've been to Liberia, and I wonder how they get solar panels. Well, I don't know. I'm sure they come from China, but I don't know how they, how they get them. Oh, how do they get solar panels in these villages? But I, I, don't, I don't know, but we saw them everywhere. And that one that, one that shows a little, that little hut with a solar panel on it, that's actually a privy. So they just use it for light. Yeah, and they would, and they would sell them. We saw them, a ton of places selling them, just driving through. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I don't know where they originally came from, but they, they could buy them from those just towns. We have solar panels. They're pretty cheap nowadays. Dean, I'm sure, knows to be an architect. And they seem to all be made in China, but transportation costs are pretty low. Batteries are pretty good technology nowadays. So all of you should put solar panels on your house. They're <laughs> <laughs> not that expensive anymore. <clears throat> yeah, I have them in my house, too. And I don't know. When did you put them on? Uh, just before the tax credit started burning off. <laughs> Okay, so the, the tax credit is still 26%, though, if you do it this year. So if the project costs, you know, $20,000, let's say, you'll get 5000 back from the project cost when you pay your income taxes. So it's really $15,000. Jim? I just, I had this thought on the way down, and if anyone wants to talk to me about this, but um, we've done here at the grade some field trips. So we've been to the landfill and other places. One trip that may interest you is to go to Macasta in um, um, neighboring, what is it, Macasta and Montcalm County. And I would be willing to set up a tour of the wind farm ah. that is there. It would blow you away. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> It is phenomenal what you see happening there. And um, one of the, I've been on that already uh, as a bus driver. But anyways, um, it's inevitable. There is nothing that any one of us can do to stop it. It's going to happen. Solar panels, wind farms. Um, just talk to Ford or GM. 
Yeah. This is not something that's going to go away. It's it's going to happen. It's a, we're in a transition period right now, and it's going to take a while. Generally, fifty years are what transition periods take, and so we're in that. But if if you if, if you're interested, maybe I'll put up a word in our bulletin or something. I that would be a really incredible trip to take. Yeah, great. And Jim mentioned the landfill. So there's, um, <clears throat> we have these four pillars with the Climate, Climate Witness Project. Education, like this, um, worship, uh, uh, energy stewardship, and advocacy. So the part of, uh, there's a group called the uh, Grand Rapids Area Advocacy Team that handles the advocacy part for West Michigan. And they're real connected with the county right now. So they're meeting with the county commissioners. And they're encouraging them to continue on the project, um, the Kent um, what is it, Sustainable Business Park. I don't know if any of you have heard of that, but it's, a, it's an amazing project. Um, so it's where the landfill is south of town. Instead of, so they're running out of space in the landfill, so instead of just adding to the landfill, they want to do a sustainable park there. And they're encouraging businesses that can sort of mine the, the recycled materials and the garbage for gold, and literally for gold, but also for other things that can be taken out of that garbage. And so that's the first, so they're trying to get that, that business in place first. And it's, that's very complicated. I don't understand how it works, but they actually do go somehow process the garbage to, to get out the stuff that's still valuable. Anyway, it's just an example of one of the things we're, that we're working on. Absolutely. COVID. So it's a combination of things, but uh, um, council knows about it. Uh, but at this point, um, I don't see anything. You know, maybe with a longer plan that, that we're formulating, then maybe that will be reinstated. But at this point, uh, we're good. I serve on the Longway Planning Committee. Okay. We are not talking about creating here so far. Okay. So maybe someone should. Raise that on your survey. <laughs> 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 Take <it> again. <laughs> 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 Other questions or comments? Okay. Well, thank you again so much for having me and Annika. And you'd like us to close in prayer, right? Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, we're so grateful for everything. We're grateful for our relatives. We're grateful for those that love us. We're grateful for those that we love. We're grateful for your creation. We ask that you help us to be good stewards of the creation and maybe more importantly to be good Christian brothers and sisters to really our grandchildren and those most vulnerable in the world. Help us to find the ways to support them. Help us to, to find the right way through this difficulty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Growing You. Next week, we are going to look at LaGrave's Alexio directory. Some of you may find this information helpful, and if you have the app, we invite you to join along. And the rest of you, 
We hope you will join us again in two weeks.